All right. Well, thank you all for coming today. Really appreciate it. Um, before we get started, I'm going to take the traditional role of Dr. Hammer here and just point out that in the event of highly unlikely event of an emergency, uh, we have our exit here. Uh, just head back out down the stairs and out the front door and around the corner to the National Geographic building. That's our gathering place, and we will buy everybody tickets. So <laughs> that's our usual mode of operation here, should there be uh, un something unforeseen. Um, so thank you very much for coming here today. Uh, I'm Whit Somweber. I'm the director of the Stevenson Ocean Security Project here at CSIS. And uh, we are delighted uh, to welcome uh, Senator Udall today to talk about his new uh, plastics bill, the Break Free from Plastic Pollution Act. And uh, I should mention a few things that uh, Senator Udall is uh, finishing out his uh, term in uh, the Senate this year uh, and is moving on to new and exciting things. Um, he has, of course, served in the Senate uh, in Congress for over two decades. Uh, and has really been a leader on environmental, environmental issues throughout that time. We were just in the back discussing how he really grew up in this space, uh, carrying a placard for his dad since the age of five years old. Of course, his dad being uh, Secretary Udall, who led on environmental issues for so long himself. So really a long legacy of environmental leadership uh, from the senator, and we are delighted that he is here today to talk about his new bill. Uh, so, uh, like many environmental issues, plastics management is exceedingly complex. Uh, plastics serve a purpose, of course, in all of our everyday lives. Um, it makes, uh, it employs a huge number of people around the globe in its production. Um, and we use those products every day, and, and from the mundane to the complex. Um, but plastics also pollute our waterways. They damage our health, and they harm already struggling ecosystems as they become embedded in soil plants, animals, the ocean, us. Each year, 8 million tons of plastic escape into the ocean. That's enough to cover the world's coastlines in a layer five garbage bags deep, which is crazy. That's a huge, staggering amount of, of volume, if you actually think about it. I have actually myself been out at sea uh, doing ocean research, towed nets in that mythical spot 300 miles south of nowhere, uh, and found small microplastics uh, almost exceeding the volume of, of uh, animal life in, in the net tows. Uh, out in the middle of the ocean. So it really is truly everywhere. It's something that has uh, become a global challenge, all-encompassing. And so it's really wonderful that Senator Udall has uh, taken up the mantle of leadership to advance uh, policy solutions on this really complex challenge. So I'd like to welcome the Senator to the stage to talk about his bill. Uh, after that, we will have a conversation. Um, I'll take, uh, I'll lead off the conversation with, with some questions with the Senator, but uh, you all should have some note cards on your seats. Um, that you can pass up um, during the discussion, and we'll, uh, we'll move forward that way. Great. Thanks so much, Senator. Well, uh, thank you so much for that very uh, kind introduction, and I just want to uh, thank the uh, CSIS Energy and Climate Change Program and also the Stevenson Ocean Security Project for the invitation today. And Jill is a regular, my wife Jill is a regular attendee and tells me how exciting these uh, conversations are. So I hope I can liven things up a little bit. But I'm going to hit you with a lot of uh, uh, data. So, you know, get ready for, for these because that's how we're going to make the argument that, that we need to uh, uh, change our direction in terms of plastic pollution. And, and we're really facing a big crisis in terms of plastic pollution. Images of plastic 
engulfing the planet are everywhere. Beach whales with hundreds of pounds of plastic in their bellies, birds, turtles, fish, helplessly trapped in plastic waste, rivers of plastic dumping, uh, being dumped into our oceans. We see plastic waste strewn along our roads, floating in our city storm drains, littering our local parks. Two miles above sea level in the Rocky Mountains, it's raining microplastics. Seven miles below sea level at the bottom of the Mariana Trench, the deepest place in the ocean, there are plastic wrappers. It's in our own bodies. Research shows, and I ask you to just kind of either feel your credit card in your wallet or just think of a credit card. Uh, we, we are swallowing, consuming uh, in our human bodies the equivalent uh, of a credit card worth of plastic every week uh, through the air, water, and food. And, and listen to this number. This is, this is uh, a comparison in history of where we are in terms of plastic. In 1950, the world produced 1.5 million tons of plastic, 1950. Today, in 2016, 320 million tons, half of which is single-use plastic. Uh, and that number could double in less than 15 years. Plastic manufacturers have fooled consumers into thinking they can recycle all this plastic waste, a material made from fossil fuels that takes 1,000 years to degrade. So many of us dutifully recycle. But here's the staggering truth. Less than 8% of US plastic waste is actually recycled. There are virtually no facilities in the United States to recycle anything besides plastics labeled one and two. If you read carefully on the items you use, there's a little recycling, and you look in there. Most of them are not one and two. There are others, and so those are being either landfilled, incinerated, or shipped overseas, as you see in many of the documentaries on this. Um, so it's an illusion that's been created that we take this plastic and we put it out on the corner on Thursday or Wednesday or whatever day, and we've done our part, and it's taken care of and it's recycled. Um, well over 90% of our plastic waste uh, goes into landfills, is incinerated in the air, and shipped to developing countries, or it's just dumped. So sadly, we cannot recycle our way out of this problem. The only way out is to reduce the amount of plastic produced in the first place. And we must put the responsibility for plastic waste where it belongs, on the manufacturers who profit from it, instead of on strapped local governments and ultimately the taxpayer who foot the bill. And they all do that, picking up the bins and all the transportation vehicles and everything else. The conservative estimate you're spending there $10 billion a year doing all of that. Now, our Break Free from Plastic uh, Pollution Act, um, the good news is we can break for three from plastic, and I want to tell you about the roadmap, the path we can take to navigate this crisis and secure our planet for future generations. This month, 
we introduced the first bill in the Congress that comprehensively tackles the plastic crisis, the Break Free from Plastic Pollution Act. Along with Representative Alan Lowenthal of California, we engaged over 200 environmental advocates, industry leaders, local government officials, and others on how to build a sustainable future. And I'm gonna talk about the framework now in, in, in about four parts. So this is the more positive of what we need to do. First, we phase out the most harmful plastic items that aren't recyclable, like plastic bags. As you know, 118 communities across the country have banned plastic bags. Uh, plastic utensils. It, um, you know, I never figured out what was uh, uh, wrong with a stainless steel fork or spoon. And if you go to REI, I'm a camper, you can get a spoon and a fork that's made of plastic, but it is, you can keep it for the rest of your life. So this whole idea that we're throwing these things away and we've created this economy is a pretty dangerous road to go down. The other things that aren't recyclable that I think really need to be targeted are the foam, food, and drinkware. Um, so the second part of our framework to work on this, uh, we require producers to take responsibility for the waste that results after their products are used. Producers must design, manage, and finance waste and recycling programs instead of outsourcing their waste to local communities and developing countries that can't handle it. By requiring producers to take responsibility, we will encourage manufacturers to create and design sustainable products. We will put their best engineering minds to work to innovate create jobs and grow our economy in sustainable ways. That's real economic opportunity here. The third approach, and one way to do this is to make sure products get recycled, is through a nationwide bottle deposit system providing 10 cents per container returned. These programs work in states that have them, like Oregon and Michigan, nearly 90% of single-use containers get recycled. So if you have a program and you target it and you have a fee, it makes a difference. Nationally, this would translate into millions of plastic containers returned and reprocessed into new products. And when we get those bottles back, we require a greater percentage of recycled content in new new uh, bottles. That's what's called the minimal re minimum recycled content uh, standard that we try to set there. The fourth part of this framework, uh, the bill also puts a pause on major plastic production that's going on right now to allow the EPA to update critical protections for public health and the environment. Here's an example. Plastic pellets are the foundation of all plastic products. And without the right EPA rules, plastic producers will continue to dump tiny pellets into waterways and the environment. And this is something that we must, must change. Now plastic not only threatens human health, it's associated with cancers, diabetes, organ malfunction, and um, 
and birth defects. And it's also at the intersection of two existential crises facing our nation and the world, climate change and the nature crisis. Cradle to grave, the life cycle of plastic is greenhouse gas intensive. Extracting fossil fuels to make plastic produces greenhouse gases. The manufacture is intensive and produces emissions. Landfilling or incinerating the waste creates emissions, and scientists are finding that even plastic products produce emissions as they degrade. Today, plastic pollution contributes nearly 5% of all global carbon emissions. Oil and gas companies are anticipating decreased demand for fossil fuels. They are hedging their bets and investing in super-polluting petrochemical plastic plants. The plastics and oil and gas industries have announced a $164 billion in investment for 264 new facilities or expansion products in the United States alone. In as little as five years, these investments could increase global plastics production by one-third. In 10 years, emissions, and this is a shocking one when it comes to climate change, in 10 years, emissions from plastic production could reach the equivalent of more than 295 new 500-megawatt coal-fired power plants. <clears throat> we lose the climate benefits of coal-fired power plants retiring if we just replace them with mega petrochemical plants. This is, a, this is a jobs aspect of these plants for sure, but they are not the only hope for new jobs. The packaging industry is 900 billion per year and the US recycling industry over 100 billion. Innovation in those industries away from wasteful plastic can create many more new jobs than these plants. And we know where most of those super polluting plants will find their homes in poor communities and communities of color. That has been the history. In 30 years, emissions from plastics are forecast to eat up so much of the carbon budget that we won't be able to meet the global target of keeping temperature, the temperature rise below 1.5 degrees Celsius. We cannot afford to get locked into so much plastic production that it threatens our planet. We must press pause and forge a more sustainable path forward. Now, the, the, um, let, let's be clear. This isn't just a problem for nature. It's a problem for humanity. Communities around the world are threatened by this pollution. They rely on our oceans, coral reef systems, healthy fish, and wildlife populations, and ecosystems for survival. When these are threatened, the livelihoods are, je livelihoods are jeopardized and poverty and global insecurity and turmoil result. So here's the, the, here's the vision part of my talk today, and that's going to be very short. The challenges we face are great. Indeed, they are existential. 
but we have to have, we, we, we have it in our power to change course before it's too late. I have a vision, I hope it will be yours, and, and, and I'm promoting it at every opportunity in the hope it will become our shared vision, and it's threefold. First, we must save nature. Nature is reaching a tipping point. Many ecosystems and animal and plant species are nearing the point of no return, under siege from human forces like plastic pollution. And that's why the, I've introduced the 30 by 30 to save nature resolution to protect 30% of our lands and oceans by 2030 and move and, and, and more in the coming decades. This is the science-backed target which we must organize around. Second, we must tackle climate change with everything we have and transition from fossil fuels to net zero carbon pollution. And that's why I'm ringing the alarm bell so people see the connection between plastic pollution and climate change. And third, as we tackle the nature and climate crises, environmental justice must be our North Star. Communities of color bear the legacy of toxic pollution. No one should be left behind as we move to a sustainable future. And this future is attainable. The only question is whether we will summon the will and the courage to get it done. And now I'm uh, uh, very uh, excited to participate in a discussion here with WHIP, so I'll move over here with my tea and sit down with him. Wonderful remarks, and I really appreciate you, you closing with that vision. I think that really um, was a wonderful articulation of, of kind of how we move forward and, and recognizing the realities of today, but also offering up a, a roadmap for action. So thank you for that. Uh, just a quick reminder to folks in the audience that if you are interested in uh, asking a question, which we encourage, please go ahead and write out in that card, and we'll have folks coming by to collect those uh, throughout, uh, and we'll, we'll get those up here in just a few minutes. So, um, But I'll, I'll just kick things off a little bit. Um, and, uh, and maybe picking up on that last theme uh, there about the idea of, of a combined approach to, to meeting these, these environmental challenges before us. So uh, my program here at the uh, center is the Stevenson Ocean Security Project. And, and we firmly believe, in, in fact, we were sort of uh, created out of this notion that sustainability is a real key component of our needed approach to security and foreign policy. Um, it's really hard to have peace when climate change and overexploitation are creating resource um, uh, scarcity and uh, increasing competition. So you, you alluded to some of the challenges that uh, plastics present in this front. Should we be looking at uh, the plastic issue through the security and foreign policy lens in addition to domestic environmental challenges? Yeah, I, with, I don't have any doubt we should be doing that. And, and one of the most interesting things when we worked on the big um, climate bill in, in uh, 2009 and 2010, which was called in the House Waxman-Markey, and then it made it over the Senate. I was on the Environment and Public Works Committee. And when we really looked at the messaging, what, what was going to bring people around in terms of climate, it ended up being 
the national security approach. Mm -hmm. And we had a wealth of information, what was amazing, and, and people to talk about it. You had former CIA directors, uh, you had generals. Uh, we know that the Defense Department every day does planning when they really do their long-term planning, looking at this uh, kind of impact of climate change. And so uh, I think uh, the national security lens is a very important one. Absolutely. Certainly. If, if, as you say, this is going to be 20% of our carbon budget by 2050, then, yeah. and climate is perhaps the greatest security challenge that we face, you can't deal with one without, without dealing with the other. Um, maybe along those lines, U.S. leadership is critical. Uh, we are, as they say, the one truly indispensable nation. Um, and developing a really robust and aggressive policy on plastics is important here at home. Um, but yet we are not the major producer of plastic waste around the globe. It's really focused in five, five countries and, and a few others in Southeast Asia as being among the biggest polluters. Um, how do, does U.S. leadership here on this issue help to uh, ad address and support uh, growth and circular economies uh, elsewhere? Well, one, one of the um, points that I would make about the five countries and when you look at, at uh, their impact. A lot of times it's pointed out that the plastics are coming from the rivers over in Southeast Asia. A lot of that, if you, and you can follow this in the documentaries that are out there on plastics, uh, is shipped from the United States. Many times uh, in the past, uh, up until a couple of years ago, it was shipped to China. Now what happens uh, is it shipped into these countries in Southeast Asia. They get a little bit of value because what you see in these documentaries is people wandering through mounds and mounds of plastic that's come to them from around the world, get, trying to pick out the things that have a little bit of value, and then the rest of it usually makes it either it's, they have plants that incinerated near people's homes, gets dumped, or it's pushed into the to the waters and then on into the ocean. So it's a um, it's a it's a really really serious problem in terms of that. Great. Um, last question, then maybe we'll get to some audience questions. So one of the I think most um, interesting and, and aggressive portions of your bill is this idea of shifting the burden on to producers. Yep. Um, I think you called it, and I, I had it written down here. The uh, uh, Producer extender, extender producer, producer responsibility, responsibility. Thank which you, thank the you. simple word in the past has been polluter pays, but, but that's the model. So, the it, model. so talk about that model. So yeah. um, where does that come from and, and, and why are you interested in, in driving that model as opposed to our current approach? Well, a, a lot of the, the big problems we've gotten into with um, have happened as a result of industry convincing the public that it's their responsibility, and now I'm talking about targeting plastics right now, is that we've gotten into this whole idea of recycling, but in fact, uh, what's happened is we aren't really recycling. As the numbers in my uh, speech pointed out, some of the ones in the documentaries that I've seen, only 8% of what is discarded is actually being recycled. And you compare that with other industries like aluminum, like paper. I mean, I, I've gone into grocery stores now and you get a paper bag. Hopefully you're taking your own bags, uh, but you get a paper bag and it says 100%, 100% recycled content. And 
what, what, what we've done in terms of plastics is we, we, it's, it's the biggest part of the throwaway society. We put it out on the corner, it's collected. As uh, uh, Jonathan Black, my, my assistant that's working on this, that's sitting over here, tells me uh, that only in the United States, if you look at all those, you have the one and two with plants, all the rest of it is either landfilled, incinerated, or sent overseas. And so we're really, uh, we're really becoming a complete uh, throwaway society in terms of plastics. And that's why you have to come back to the folks that are producing it. They understand it. They know how to remake the industry. They know how to keep the jobs in the industry. And they know how to do a better job. And it's our job as leaders to keep the pressure on them. Thank you for that. Um, so I'm going to turn now to some of the audience questions here. It looks like we've got a bunch of great ones. Um, I'll start off with a little bit of a more challenging one. Um, given the situation in Congress with uh, very challenging partisan times, uh, gridlock, um, what are your thoughts on, on trying to move this bill? And, and, and how can you use this bill, even in this sort of stifled environment, to advance this, this idea? Yeah, yeah. Well, the, the, you know, the wonderful uh, thing in Washington is whenever you get a big idea, the first question you're asked is you can never get it done. <laughs> so it kind of sends you the message. You get the message as a member of Congress, don't ever have any more big ideas. Mm -hmm. You know, don't have, it's, it, 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 get small little ideas so that you can, you know, that then you can brag about you got to build through on a small little idea. You know the thing that I'm realizing is that people are excited about big ideas. People get really excited about big ideas. We have seen the energy behind this. Uh, and, and believe me, the other party, the Republican Party, I'm a Democrat, uh, they have in their plank uh, something about plastic pollution, the GOP over in the House side. So they know it's there. They'll talk about it a little bit. But they won't do what needs to be done. And so my, my approach on this is when you tackle a problem, recently Jonathan and I uh, tackled the issue and my whole staff, my communication staff and others, we said uh, there was an issue of toxic chemicals getting into our bodies. And, and this is related to the plastics, obviously. And uh, we took the big idea. It took us three years. We got it done. And we got it done in a bipartisan way. And what ended up happening is I only had one Republican one Republican that started out with me, a guy by the name of David Vitter from uh, Louisiana, and he just, we stuck together, we had a dinner, and we just pushed that thing through. And so that's really the model. If you can find one, uh, if you can get a bipartisan bill and two of you are willing to work and put the pressure on everybody and call people in. Uh, the, the one other thing I want to say about the, the um, the issue of the, the big ideas um, is, is not only do you throw the idea out there, but you reach out uh, with to industry, to stakeholders, to environmental groups, to anybody that's interested and say, and what we did on this bill, this plastic bill, we put our draft on the table and we said, here, you have time. Uh, we give them a period of time to comment. And then we take their comments and we look at what the experts say. I have a scientist on my staff 
uh, Kate right over here, who's come from the, one of these great national science programs that places fellows, and we take their comments and we go and we research, uh, is this a good idea or is this an idea that's based in evidence and science? And then we, we hone down the bill and then we put it out. So the, the thing I would tell you is that the, a lot of work has already been put into this bill. Doesn't mean we don't need a lot more interaction and a lot more uh, working with everybody to get it done. But I think this is the direction, this is where the excitement is, and this is what people want done. Excellent. Um, having been through uh, a number a whole of, of them excellent. There. a number of those stakeholder processes, I can understand how, how intensive they can be, um, but also how much important uh, how important that kind of feedback is, um, both in terms of getting ideas, but also in terms of developing consensus. And the idea that people are, feel like they've been heard, I think really matters. Um, it's kind of a couple related questions here um, have to do with uh, how we transition away from the current uh, use of plastics in so many industries and encourage new technologies and developing new technologies. Are, are you trying to address that through this bill as oh, well? Oh yeah, absolutely. Well, I think, I think I mentioned that is that our model is to is to rather than have the taxpayers and low-income communities and all the people that are impacted by this uh, and that's where the dumping takes place that's where the incinerators are put we have the industry itself the push of this bill is to say come up with a new model because your model's not working right now mm -hmm. and so that's really uh, where we're coming from and and uh, you see it happening uh, the one example I use that I think is is very uh, appropriate here in a state like Michigan where you say on bottles that you buy they they're going to be a 10 cent deposit and you have it returned you then end up in that state getting the next step in the process is when you buy another bottle the very you have a very high content uh, we call it minimum or recyclable content in that product. And so you're requiring the reuse, which is really, in, in a way, I talked about nature. That's what nature does all the time. You know, we're the, the, um, the ecosystems that are out there, those are our life support system. We get everything. We may think that we're just in buildings like this and we do it all, but our life support system is what's out in the world. And nature, if you watch, uh, you watch a, a forest, a healthy forest, the, the leaves turn into fertilizer and the whole nature system in terms of carbon and everything else is one recyclable uh, system. So that's something that I think we, we would be better off following many of the companies following that recycling process, true recycling, mm -hmm. uh, rather than getting into the, the, um, the approach where everything's throwaway and, and we don't have to worry about it. Great. Um, how does uh, this bill and maybe broader U.S. approach to these issues reflect or differ from uh, other major developed uh, states, take the EU for example? Yeah, yeah. well, the, the EU and Canada are already out in front of us. So when you uh, talk about um, minimum recycled content in a product, uh, that's one of the standards we put in this bill. That's what they're doing. 
in the major countries around the world and what they're doing up in Canada. They're pushing the envelope. And when you travel, I'm sure many of you are travelers around the world, you see that. Uh, other countries uh, are trying to take approaches where they have a lower carbon footprint. This is a little bit off. I've never quite figured it out. A little bit off my plastic message here, Jonathan, you'll forgive me. But I've never figured out. You go into a European country and you, st and you start to leave the room and you know they have the credit card at the door and you pull it out or you hit a switch and all the lights shut off. And, and we don't use very much of that technology over here. I I'm always find myself running a little bit late because I'm going around the room and turning off all the lights that I turned on. And, and, it's very, and I've asked, I've said to contractors over here, I said, why don't we put in a switch right at the door that says turn all the lights out? And they said, well, we, we know that's out there, but it's, it's a lot harder to put in. Uh, but in fact, it saves a lot more energy, and that's why our amount of energy we use compared to other countries around the world, why we're in a much higher level. So they, there, there are really smart ways of doing this. This isn't uh, something that, that's not being done around the world. We're actually following other countries in many cases in some of the things we're proposing in this bill. One of the things that um, <clears throat> some of the other issues that we work on here in the Ocean Security Project is uh, issue of uh, the trade in illegal seafood. Um, and that's a situation where uh, the US and the EU have a tremendous market interest and power because we import a lot of uh, product, seafood products from around the country. And so how we uh, deploy our regulatory controls for importing those goods really affects the global market. Um, do you see a similar approach possible in the realm of plastics? Um, so for example, if we are to develop a robust uh, domestic policy production regime, is that something that you might look to as a next step trade and import controls? Yeah, I think, I think um, that, that that could be something that, that works very well. Mm -hmm. I do. Um, let's see here. He's got a lot more. Don't oh, worry. let's you get a few more over here. Yeah, else. here we go. <laughs> well, we've, we've, we've covered quite a bit already. Um, so I'm sure you're, you're hitting duplicates there. That, uh, so that's right. Um, so uh, what about um, foreign assistance as a, a component of the legislation? Is that something you've thought about? So for example, helping yeah. developing economies in Asia. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned the problem of our exporting of waste really being right. the source of so much of that pollution. But uh, is that something that you've thought about? I know, for example, there's some other legislation on the Hill, Save Our Seas 2.0, kind of gets into that some. Yeah. Um, and maybe you can, this is a good opportunity to talk about the relationship between uh, uh, your bill and, and that bill. Yeah. The, the foreign assistance part of it, I think, I think um, and I'm gonna, going to speak more broadly about this because I think this is something that when we confront climate change, when we confront the nature crisis, we really need uh, to be thinking, how can we as one of the leaders in the world be trying to do everything we can to help these other countries? Mm -hmm. and, and one of the ways, I remember I was on a trip over in India and there was a fairly big audience and they wanted to hear about the idea of how we were doing what we were doing on climate and, and they were stuck in many systems, you know, small stoves and villages and, and that kind of thing. And uh, when I talked about 
our assisting them, the United States, from leapfrogging over some of the dirtier technologies, that was the thing that resonated the most. And so I, it's not in this bill right now, but I think we need to be thinking in these, these big picture areas where we're way ahead of a lot of people in the world. Europe may be way ahead, Canada may be way ahead, but the billions of other people are way behind. And so how do we uh, make sure that they skip some of the, the dirtier technologies and get to the others? And I think foreign assistance is gonna be part of that and actually trying to provide some of those technologies, which ends up growing the jobs over here. I mean, the thing to never forget, the, these cutting edge technologies that are there, it's the countries that produce those that are going to do the best in terms of the jobs. And so that's where we want to position America, Great. I think. Returning to domestic policy now, <clears throat> um, this is a pretty comprehensive bill that touches on, on a wide ranging number of industries. Um, who has the lead from the federal perspective, federal government perspective in, in managing your proposed programs? Is that going to be EPA? EPA. EPA, gotcha. yeah. yeah. And, and EPA is the, when, when I mentioned in the, the bill on the plants, uh, we have these new plastic plants, mega petrochemical plants that are coming online. Uh, the equivalent of uh, the new ones in the investments, 500 new coal-fired plants, or, or the, the equivalent of 500 megawatt. Huge, you know, huge, big uh, coal-fired plants. We're putting more up. When on the other side, we have been very successful in terms of our natural gas as a transition fuel closing down uh, coal-fired plants. So I think the, the important thing is to, is to get out front uh, with an agency that has the expertise like the Environmental Protection Agency with. They can, they can look into this, they can supervise it, uh, and they can uh, push in the pause to see that the normal regulations that you would put in place. Many of these uh, incinerators, if you, if you look at the two or three documentaries that are out there on this, are sitting right next to communities and you're hearing all sorts of health problems from the people from the time the plant opened up. Well, many of those plants are functioning under old standards. The science we know is much better to, to, uh, to push the envelope in terms of cleaning them up. And, and we need to give the, we're only pausing to give the EPA an opportunity to say, you know, you, you've got to improve the, the health and safety standards in your, um, in your plan. Right. Through your stakeholder process, um, <clears throat> I see you've gotten a tremendous amount of support from, from various public uh, uh, conversations, but how has the reaction from industry been? Um, have you gotten support uh, from certain corners of the industry? Well, the, the encouraging thing, and, and when we uh, talk about uh, minimal, minimum uh, recycle content, mm -hmm. uh, that idea came when we talked to some of the bigger people in the industry, Pepsi-Cola, Coca-Cola, people like that. They were familiar with that because that's what other people are doing around the world, and they said, you know, we want to talk about that. We're not signing on necessarily, but we understand we've moved in that direction in European countries and Canada, and, and we're, we're amenable to the process. I think it's a big step to say that you're going to have industry step forward whole hog and say, you know, this is a great bill. We, what we see around the United States is if, if a community, a city or a state, 
pops its head up and wants to do uh, one of these uh, bottle bills where you have a deposit and you have a return and, and that kind of thing, it's usually industry and industry money that fights mm -hmm. it. But, but I think as you build, what, what we learned in, in the toxic chemical spills in, in Tosca, as you build more and more public support and the public becomes more educated, they, they sweep that aside and the industry has to get down to seriously negotiating and, and coming up with a bill that's going to work and move us in a new direction. And as you increase the recycled content of those plastics, that becomes a, a useful resource for the, those companies as well. I've actually heard it said that, in fact, the industry wants its yeah. bottles back if they can get them. Yeah, yeah. yeah. especially yeah. in the United States if they're one and twos. You right. know, one, one. Look, look at how many of what you're on those little recycle things. There's a one and a two. Those are the only ones we recycle here in the United States. So they, they, yeah, that's either headed overseas it's incinerated or it's dumped in a landfill. Mm -hmm. And so we need to be at the place where you can reuse and, and truly recycle. Great. Well, I think that's a good place to end on, but I do have one final question, and this comes from the audience. <laughs> Red or green chilies? Yeah, I'm a Christmas guy. <laughs> that's where you put them both together. <laughs> All right, great. Well, thank you yeah, so much, Sandra. We really appreciate you. it. Thank you. Thank you.